morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth and I want to invite you to join us on a journey as we seek to welcome the Christ child into the world. A gift from God that shows God's love for us, God's blessings for us, and God's good gifts of grace for us. So come on and let's travel together. Come on in. Today's first lesson comes from Zephaniah, uh, book three, chapter three, 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is In your midst, you shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion, do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exalt you over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors as that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time, I will gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before the eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from Luke's Gospel. We are in chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Listen again with fresh ears. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats, 
or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. December 12th, y'all ready? It's coming. I see you, you got some dresses ready. I see some color. Our sanctuary that we've been building each week now is mostly complete. But the question is, are we ready? Youth, y'all done all your shopping for your parents yet, your siblings? A few, we got a few, that's not bad. So are you ready? That's where we'll start. What does being ready for Christmas look like for you? A class of six-year-olds were putting on the annual Christmas concert for family and friends. Kids were singing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. With gusto, they came to the line, Peace on earth and mercy, mild God and sinners reconciled. One child, the loudest singer in the group, belted out, Peace on earth and mercy, mild God and sinners dressed in style. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. We're welcoming Christ, dressing in style. It's a part of some of the holidays. So let's go the other way. There's a woman named Cecily Hansen tells of driving her young daughter through the neighborhood to look at all of the Christmas lights. We've done that before. They came to one house where the homeowners had clearly lost their minds. They had every possible light and decoration dripping off of their house and crowding their front yard. Hansen's daughter peered out the window at this house and said, it looks like Christmas threw up. So we have the two polar ends, dressed in style and Christmas exploding all over yourselves, your house, your neighbors, and your friends. Where are you on that spectrum? It is the third week of Advent as we prepare the four weeks that lead to the coming of the Christ child that we celebrate on Christmas Eve. Services at 4 and 5.30. You see three are lit. Why the pink one today? The pink one, so we take a step back. We see purple is the color that we use for Advent. It's also the color for Lent as we prepare six weeks for Easter. Here we prepare four weeks for Christmas. And when Advent and Lent both started, they were both in that same sense of preparing ourselves, doing hard work where we're looking at ourselves for 
to be able to fully receive the events that are getting ready to happen in Christmas and Easter. So it was hard work. It is doing introspection on where we have separated ourselves from God. Where can we be closer to God? And in the third week, the candle is joy. There's a Latin phrase called godet, G-A-U-D-E-T-E, which is Latin for rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. So just like the Sundays in Lent leading to Easter, this is a Sunday where instead of looking at where we have gone wrong, where we need to look at our lives and shore things up to fully receive Christ, it is a Sunday where we take a moment for joy, that pink candle, separate from that penitent color of purple as we prepare. Today's a day to celebrate. So how do we celebrate when that crazy John the Baptist is calling us all a brood of vipers? He was kind of a nut, wasn't he? Well, what do we know about John the Baptist? In this case, well, we know, we think he and Jesus were cousins. He was born um, about six months ahead of Jesus. We think Mary and Elizabeth, uh, John the Baptist's mother, were related. She ran up there to the hill country to be with Elizabeth when the angel came and said, guess what? And she wanted to get out of town before the National Enquirer got to her, clear her head, think about what's getting ready to happen. So she goes to stay with Elizabeth. So we think Jesus and John would have known each other, maybe even grew up. It wasn't that big a region. But what we know John the Baptist's job is, is to prepare the way for Christ. In our Luke passage, we, uh, John the Baptist is preparing for an adult Jesus to come and be baptized. We are close to that. But John is preparing us all for the coming of Christ. And what is he, how is he accomplishing that? So we say that John is baptizing, a baptism for the remission of sin, and another way to say that is, what is it? Salvation. Salvation another R word, <laughs> repentance. Dun, dun, dun. That word none of us really like. It carries a lot of baggage from the older days. People standing on street corners screaming at you. Repent, the end is near. Turn so you don't burn. Repentance means literally that, a change of direction. And when we talk about it in terms of coming back to God through Christ, it means turning away from that which is separating us from God and one another, even possibly ourselves. Repentance. It's a turning. And so John is saying, I know you. And really, when he says brood of vipers, he's not addressing the crowd. He's addressing the leadership, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish temple structure that had gone astray from what he believed God's message was to them and misused their power that harmed the people and did not bring them closer to God. Brood of vipers. What is a brood? Just offspring. 
Vipers, good or bad? Yeah, it's not good. You don't want to be a viper. Be son of a viper either. So John first convicts them, look at what you've been doing that has made a mess of what God is trying to do. We need to learn that as well. What is it that we have made a mess of what God is trying to do? None of us is perfect. This isn't to say that you were bad or for you to feel shame. It's to say, this is what I can work on. Repentance is action. It's not just thinking or saying I'm sorry. That's a part as we do in our confession. But the truth will be told about how you then live or seek to work on those things that you know separates you from God. It is in the doing that we know who we are as Christians, where our faith is as Christians, and how others see us acting or not as Christians. They talk about Abraham. Nope, your association with Abraham is not enough and does not matter. You need to do this on your own. Okay, then what do we do? How do we do it? What does this repentance look like? We can get baptized, but it's not just about baptizing and going home and telling people you've been baptized. You live your baptism, you live your repentance. And astonishingly, John the Baptist doesn't say, go to First Presbyterian Church every Sunday. Increase your pledge or tithe. Serve on committees, go to the fun events the events of service and Christian education and worship. He doesn't say go to the homeless shelter, although we're getting closer. He doesn't say have communion. Because he doesn't know about that yet. He says four things. The first two, very simple and clear. If you have two coats, give somebody who doesn't have one, one. And likewise for food. That's it. Those are the first two. So if you have excess, help other people. And he's not saying give away both of your coats so then now you are cold and somebody then has to help you. He says if you got two, give one to somebody who has none. And if you have food, help those who are hungry. Simple. Take care of other people. Everyone has gifts. Figure out how to share those with people who need those gifts. And the second two, also interesting. Two professions are lifted up, tax collectors and soldiers. Tax collectors, not very well liked. Why? Not only do they go door to door to collect taxes, nobody likes that, but it was standard practice to extort money from the people to overcharge them, to take more than what was prescribed for them to collect. So people held them in disgust. What do we do, tax collectors say to John? He says, just collect what you're told to collect. Soldiers, interesting enough. They say, us, what about us? What about us, soldiers? What do we do to repent, to be baptized? And he says, in a similar fashion, he doesn't say anything about 
hand-to-hand combat, about war, about engaging in conflict. For these soldiers, he says, don't extort money from the people. The same thing he said for the tax collectors. So for both of them, it was about how they were wielded, tax collectors and the soldiers, how they were wielding their power in a way that harmed others. We talked a few weeks ago about the fact that we all have power and we wield it. How do we wield it? No matter if you are on the bottom rung at your office, you have some kind of power. No matter how old you are, you have some kind of power. How we wield that and in what way can let us know what our faith says and what we believe. So help others and don't abuse your power. Respect others, essentially, is what he's saying in those second two. Again, you would think John would say, go to temple, memorize your scripture, do the things that you have to do as a part of this temple family. He doesn't. Take care of others. Don't abuse your power slash respect others. It was all focused in other people. In doing repentance, we are caring for others in God's name. One of the core principles of our Christian faith. In doing In caring for others, we are worshiping God as closely as we are worshiping God in here together. So there is judgment with both John the Baptist and Zephaniah. How much do we know about Zephaniah? Chris read that passage to you. He was a prophet in the time of King Josiah. Ah, that puts us. 640 to 609 BC, somewhere in that time period, and things were getting ready to be bad for Judah. Babylon was soon to come in in 586 and wipe them out, take them into exile. And Zephaniah is a short book. And along with a lot of the other prophets, A prophet's job seems to be partially to say things people don't want to hear. That is hard. They were not very popular, often killed because they went against what the king or the ruling class said should be happening as they tried to hold account the people to God's laws, ordinances, statutes. Zephaniah, no different. Josiah was a good king and tried to enact things, but Zephaniah... Out of three chapters, most of that is judgment for what's getting ready to come because they have strayed, they would not listen. And the one bright spot is our passage today. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. The Lord your God is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. 
So both Zephaniah and John the Baptist are kind of in the same zone here. We actually often place John the Baptist with those prophets of the the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, because he's doing a similar thing, convicting them, and there's judgment there. We don't like judgment, but it's a part of this system, a part of this process. But judgment for us is not bad, but is a way to mercy. If God looked at us and said, guilty, done, which God completely deserves to be, we would be done. But instead, God says, here, I convict you of these ways that you have broken my laws and commandments. We think about that in a less intense way. If you are in any kind of job, sometimes students, we, we are all evaluated and told how we can be better on the positive side of things. Those are evaluations. Those are constructive criticism to say, you know what? You are great, but here's what you can do to be better. That's judgment. We're judging each other right now. You're judging me, and I'm judging you. But instead of judgment for destruction's sake, this is judgment for redemption's sake. God is saying, here's where you've gone wrong. I keep sending people to you, prophets, kings, queens, judges, so that you can come back in a way that makes us even closer. God is an intimate God, not one that is far away. And a lot of what we celebrate is that phrase that Zephaniah continues to lift up. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. The Lord your God is in your midst. Emmanuel, God with us. Why do we celebrate this event, this birth? It is miraculous. Christ came into the world, but God came into the world through this little baby. Things are difficult out there. The first hymn that we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, we talked about last Wednesday night at our Wednesday night dinner program. Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, wrote this hymn in 1744 because he was surrounded by what he saw as as poverty, as those who were ill, seeing orphans. He was looking at a broken world that surrounded him and said, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we know that dual nature of Advent that yes, we are waiting for Christ to be born in the manger, Mary and Joseph, but we are also waiting for Christ to come again in the second coming to make things right once and for all according to God's will. But it was what surrounded him in the brokenness that moved Wesley to write that hymn. We are no more or less broken in our time. I think we always think we are, but in every time there are things that are awful, horrible, and terrible, and things that are wonderful, fantastic, and lives and love to celebrate. A lot of you are struggling out there. A lot of you are in pain, mentally, physically, 
spiritually. John and Zephaniah are saying, we celebrate the candle of joy today because God is with us. God does not let us go. All of the fears that we have in this world can be handed over. It doesn't mean they will go away, but it means we are not alone as we encounter them. That God cared enough about us to become one of us, to live like one of us, God didn't need that. But God loved you and me and all of us so much that we celebrate this day that God reminds us again, even through judgment, that mercy is the result and grace and forgiveness and an intimate God are the result. In the beginning of World War II in the city of London, they were trying to protect their most vulnerable citizens that were their, their, their members of, that, of their city by sending the children away to the countryside. They knew war was coming. They knew the Nazis were getting ready to bomb. So they sent them to foster homes in the countryside that was seen as generally safe, but they did not tell the children what was going to happen or that this was because of war and all of that that they found a hard time explaining. So they didn't know why they were going. As they were getting on the train, they said, where are we going and why are we going? And one young boy said, I don't know where we are going, but the king knows. And in the same way, no matter where we are or where we are headed, how difficult things get and they will get, no matter how strong your faith does not ensure you against tragedy and hardship. But we know that we encounter those things, that God is with us. And that is why we celebrate today the candle of joy, that even though we turn away, even though we are sometimes a brood of vipers, we are also the beloved children of God. So let us celebrate the joy of God with us then, now, and in the future. Hallelujah. Amen.